Welcome to Old Town New World. We're here today in Rock Hill Brewery in downtown Rock Hill, instead of our normal millstone, which is right next door. And uh, my name is Jason Broadwater. I'm Christopher Vick. And we're here to talk about the ever-changing world of Small Town USA. No, okay. Today, we have with us, of course, Silent Micah, as always. Silent Micah, if you'd like to say something funny. <laughs> oh, and we also have... Um, <laughs> We also have with us uh, Chris Gervais. Chris uh, is covering, currently covering his shirt with a nice hoodie, but I love yeah. your hoodie. Thank you. Yeah, there's nothing under here. <laughs> and we it's have like with a, us... It's like a dickie or something. <laughs> yeah, right. It's, it's a, a t-shirt dickie. T-shirt dickie. It's called the tea dickie. I, I cut my own tea dickies. <laughs> <laughs> We've done a whole podcast on Chris's tea dickie side hustle. but tea dickie Etsy shop. Dude, we really just invented gold. Um, but anyway, we have our something about floors. Yeah, foreskin, foreskin. We, we actually have our real guest today, who is a, a feller named Jason Collette. Welcome, Jason. Yeah, thank you. And Jason is a man of many, many hats, and we're going to hear about um, most of them, maybe half of them today, if we have time. Uh, but one of them is actually where we are, Rock Hill Brewery, um, owner, brewmaster, man, conceptualizer, everything. So we're going to start with talking some about the brewery here, uh, some big things just happened with some awards and whatnot, and we're going to talk about the brewery, but then we're going to get into learning more about Jason and his other stuff. So Jason, why don't you kind of chime in, tell us, tell us a little bit about yourself and the brewery. All right, uh, so let's see, I've been brewing or around craft brew for gosh, 20 some odd years. Uh, it was actually an undergrad. I started at a tiny brewery called Bell's in Kalamazoo, Michigan, which uh, lots and lots of people know now because it's the seventh largest brewery in the country. But uh, back then, uh, nobody even knew what craft beer was. Um, but it was a, a great experiment moving out of Larry's garage, you know, into yeah. a little uh, side industrial <laughs> complex. And now it's just grown and grown and grown and grown and grown. So over the years, I've had a um, lot of opportunities to work with breweries, um, did some consulting work with uh, Miller, did some consulting work with Coors. Um, I've never heard of them. Are they local? Uh, yeah, they're teeny tiny. They're they're they're, tiny, they're, they're, yeah. they're just like backwoods breweries, okay, right. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe not. Um, I, I wasn't on the beer side then. I was doing more organizational psychology and and um, and uh, continuous improvement type work. Uh, but then that brought me to Charlotte eventually, and then had some opportunities to work with some of the local breweries. Um, and in fact. Uh, my best friend from college, uh, who I introduced to craft beer, and uh, he started brewing on the side, now owns Blue Blaze, which oh, okay. is uh, a very big brewery on the east side of Charlotte, and they distribute uh, across a couple states and uh, just did a huge expansion, and so they're doing real well. Um, but yeah, this opportunity came along with Brendan. We looked at Rock Hill. Hey, Brendan, let me interrupt. Brendan yeah. um, owned, started McHale's, owns McHale's, which is a cornerstone in downtown Rock Hill, and uh, there was one over in TKK for a while, and um, he's just really been, I mean, while Rock Hill kind of 
floundered and tried to get some legs under its downtown, Brendan was an absolute critical player in keeping downtown Rock Hill going. Just really been a great asset. That, that's right. The first cool thing in downtown Rock Hill, and for years. I mean, it was like it wasn't even like stuff was hot on the heels of McHale's. You know, it was all there was for a long time. Yeah, I, I give Brendan a huge amount of credit for being a, not only a visionary and putting something together that is cool and that people can enjoy and but man i mean he has stuck it through over the years with kind of the ebbs and the flows and the economy transitions and uh you know i i, I give a lot of credit rock hill is what it is today because of, of everything that he's done and um you know when when we got together gosh about a year year and a half ago now um we just kind of had the same vision right it's like rock hill up and growing place, really cool things happening. We could create a space where the community could meet and talk and we could have the mayor in once a month and, and do pint night with the mayor. We could do this, we could do that. So absolutely beer's important, but I'd say almost almost secondary to the overall vision of creating a space, yeah. right? Uh, that, a that we can have space, events and we can have speakers and we can have private parties and yeah. we can do really cool things. And then of course, we wanna have good beer too. And you know, I say a beautiful space, and and that word is it can be you know it's obviously subjective. So, the type of beautiful I'm talking about is industrial brick, um, t picnic tables made out of old recycled reclaimed wood. Actually, these are imported from Germany and were original Oktoberfest uh, tables. So if you if you look on the bottom, there's a there's an Oktoberfest stamp, and then we just uh, added our logo to the top. But these, these are uh, European vacation. <laughs> so Chris is a very cultured uh, guy, you can tell by his yeah. comments. Che Chevy Chase culture. Yeah. yeah, I can only reference Chevy Chase movies. That's the only time I chime in. You're like, I know Europe. I saw European vacation. <laughs> That's funny. So, uh, but the you know it's that type of atmosphere, uh, concrete floors, you know, just kind of, you know, uh, um, admiring uh, the the past and how the past has an imprint on things and how things like that in a space make for a, a place full of stories and yep. richness. You know? Absolutely, and, and that's the intent. And that, that's even why we have the brewery and the fermentation tanks and the, the bright tanks and we pour right out of the tank. We don't pour out of kegs, we don't do bottles, we don't do cans or anything like that. I mean, it's the freshest beer you've ever had, right? Poured right out of the tanks and all that stainless steel is right here in the room yeah. uh, because it, it's a part of the story that unfolds every day. So you make it, so there's this area over to our left, it's got like a, the larger tanks, it's super, it looks like a, like, like somebody did an Ant-Man shrinking of an industrial <laughs> kind of complex. And that's where you make like what one beer at a time or two beers at a time or yeah so uh, so the manufacturing process is is a batch process so that means we're doing you know one kind of beer at a time in our case it's about 200 gallons or so that that we're producing initially and then through the various processes and fermentation and dry hopping if that's indeed what we do et cetera et cetera we end up with about 150 gallons that we're serving. Um, and, and that, that takes, takes go ahead, sorry. That, that takes uh, about well, it takes about six hours to brew the beer, but it takes Mother Nature about you know six eight weeks to actually make the beer. Have you tried to see if you could hire a different mother? Is she not doing a good job? <laughs> Maybe she's not being paid yeah. enough. I don't really know. Are there incentives? I, I, I heard there was a union uh, gathering <laughs> oh that was thinking about maybe uh, kind of holding off some of this weather that we yeah, got right. going on and so, so some it, other issues. So it gets brewed and yeah. then it goes into the holding tanks, which look like the brew tanks. 
paintings. They're super cool. They're industrial and silver and uh, chrome, you know, chrome and all that. And they got your logo on them. And, and flames shooting out. Flames shooting out. And get guys with guitars <laughs> fake, on top fake of Flames, them. not real flames. Yeah. <laughs> the place is literally on fire, guys. I don't know we have to go. To this, if the we fire department or, you know, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's right. not good. Fake we should flames. leave now. Fake flames. Yeah. Um, and the place is fully sprinkled and insured. And, uh, <laughs> but, um, it is, it is. But so, and they're serving the beer right out of those tanks. And yep. how many beers do you have over there? So uh, five that are in the big bright tanks, but then we have uh, room for four up front. So we also carry, you know, ciders and wine and sours and, and et cetera. Um, and then we also have a, a barrel aging program. So on special days like, you know, uh, St. Patrick's Day coming up, we'll release two of our barrel aged beers. and. Um, so yeah, we kind of have a variety. You've had them set aside for a while, that means? Uh, yeah, for, boy, coming on a year. Um, okay. So yeah, they've been, they've been uh, sitting there getting yummy. Yeah. <laughs> are they in barrels that have a past, or they, how's that? They are. We have, uh, we work with, or buy our stuff from a distillery out of Texas. Uh, they specialize in um, mainly bourbon, but um, bourbon out of Texas, depending on who you're talking yeah, to. Yeah, right. <laughs> so whiskey, yeah. um, but they also do some rum and they do some different things. So depending on the profile of our beer, I might you know, choose to use a, a rum barrel uh, because that might bring out different flavors than okay. say like a whiskey barrel would. So, I mean, man, I'm sure, you know, I know you did a lot of brewing on small scales, like in your house and stuff, and, and you actually, you know, might have been making a lot for this or that or whatever. But as you got into brewing larger amounts, I mean, isn't there a huge risk when you can like, when you got one beer going through and it's gonna take mother nature a while and then on the end, you gotta be confident it's gonna be good or you're set back a while, right? Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, I think you might've been walking by some of those days when, oh, we, <laughs> when we were initially opening and you know, I, I didn't have a lot of hair before. Now I have no hair right. because I pull it all out. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a little nerve wracking, right? Because the, the bigger you get, uh, the more expense you have into that batch. Um, if it doesn't go well, then obviously, you know, I, I've only had one beer so far, knock on wood, um, that I made and it just, it didn't meet our standards. And with a lot of angst and a lot of frustration, I dumped it, you know, and um, and so that that was frustrating. But I did get some compliments from from other brewers and people that have been around and so on and so forth. A lot of times, people will just try to push it out, you know, get get anything for it, call it something weird, call it bad batch number one, and, and yeah. see if you can sell it, you know, whatever. Old um, pennies and shoes. Yeah, they, old pennies <laughs> and shoes. I like dude. That would have sold. Oh, and then yeah. actually, and then put a premium price yeah, on it, like twenty dollars yeah. a glass. Oh, hold yeah. on, I, I got to write that one down because yeah. <laughs> next time this happens, uh, <laughs> if you happen to come in the brewery and you see a pennies and shoes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Bible yeah, but I mean that, that's just. <laughs> That's part of business, right? You just, you gotta, you gotta do the right thing. Yeah, so. you gotta take your hits when you need to take your hits, yeah. Well, so, um, you, you guys, speaking of making good beer and, and bad beer, you guys just won a bunch of, of awards for making excellent beer. So tell us about, tell us about that. Yeah, uh, shocking. Uh, I was literally floored. The, the whole, you know, reason for entering the beer was literally just to throw our name in the hat, start to get some level of recognition. We, we had no inclination. We had no thought that we had actually win anything because uh, we were going up, you know, across the state to all the big breweries and some of them out of state. Um, 
but uh, there, there are a lot of big names, a lot of excellent uh, entries, and yeah, we ended up winning five awards, which was, uh, which floored me. Uh, in fact, when I first read it, I, I went through the list, I saw the first one, and I just started doing my happy dance and running around the house and telling my <laughs> wife, and then my head brewer, Jared Jones, who is fantastic, you know, texted me later, is like, yeah, we won five, and, and I, I didn't even, I didn't even bother reading the rest of the list because yeah, I just wow. saw, I saw one and I was you know beside myself. So uh, so anyway. So what did you win? So how does this work? Uh, so there are multiple uh, uh, different levels. So there are about 55, 58 categories of beer, right. and that could be something like a, a Belgian strong. It could be something like an IPA. It could be something like a stout, or it could be like a flavored beer or a fruit beer. So all these different categories. Um, I can't, I don't remember how many breweries across the state uh, entered, but there was, you know, a bunch. Um, and then you could enter multiple categories. Uh, so, you know, we did that. And what we came away with, we got a silver medal for our IPA, which is unbelievable. That is by far like the most heavily entered, most competitive area. So that we got a silver was amazing. Um, I think for a lot of people, they they don't know the difference between craft beer and IPAs. I've heard a lot of yeah. sort of people make comments like, that like, <laughs> like they think yeah, that's like the same one and the same. Right, yeah, because it's such a popular beer with like craft breweries yeah. and stuff. Yeah, so those, that IPA category, you know, it tends to be uh, more bitter, tends to be very uh, nosy, you know, you can smell it uh, like a like a floral from a, a long ways away. Uh, let's see, we got uh, Bad Mamma Jamma Brown. <laughs> uh, took a silver, which was, um, it's a brown ale. It's a little bit maltier, a little bit sweeter, uh, not nearly as bitter. Um, and uh, let's see, what else did we do? Uh, we had our Knowledge Perk uh, Coffee Stout. So our friends down the road, Knowledge yeah. Perk uh, Coffee and Ryan Sanderson and Jonathan Taylor. Uh, we, which I'm drinking right now and is awesome. Yeah. Uh, we collaborated, and so we we got some of their uh, beans and added that to our stout, and uh, that took uh, an award as well. Um, what am I missing? Oh, our specialty that came out over the holidays was a Tipsy Christmas, which had it was a light ale, but it had juniper berries and spruce tips in it. So it kind of it was fun. When you first taste it, you you're like you feel, you almost feel like you're eating a Christmas tree, but. That, that second sip, it really kind of like evens out and just really crisp and refreshing and fun. And uh, the last one was a bourbon barrel aged Imperial Irish Honey Red. So that's cool that you collaborated with Knowledge Park. Yeah. So, so here we are in, in downtown Rock Hill and a um, lot of innovative people doing innovative things. You know, some people involved in innovation that is, you know, uh, there might be a small company, but they're uh, affecting, they have clients all over the country, this, that, and the other. And then some people focus their innovation on um, how it affects our immediate environment, you know, serving the local environment. And, and usually entrepreneurs are thinking on both levels often at the same time. You know, so um, you take uh, like Knowledge Perk, for example, they're very much a local coffee shop, but they're also looking at different ways that the the farms in different parts of the world can be represented in interesting ways and you know things that are more global in, in nature and thinking and you, and you see all these folks I mean, you know you know we run into each other at whatever committee meeting or this meeting and and there's a lot of people that are doing interesting things like that so any opportunity for us to get together for people to get together and collaborate i think it's a wonderful thing i mean so are they happy about it are they advertising it over there uh, we actually don't have the awards yet, so they're, oh. they're still they're still coming. Yeah, um, right. 
but once we get the awards, I, I did talk to Ryan last week, and we were talking about, you know, how do we give them recognition for, you know, what they added. And I said, man, that's awesome. Like, yeah. your coffee is an award-winning coffee yeah. in a beer <laughs> in a beer competition. <laughs> yeah. And um, well, there's nothing so like laugh. that 7 a.m. beer, coffee <laughs> beer. <laughs> well, start my day. Start my day. You know, there's all this, you know, fuss about like alcoholism out there, but you know, when you <laughs> when when you when you own a brewery, uh, you know, it's part of my job to come in and, you know, do that 7, 7 a.m. quality control, right. you know, <laughs> tasting. Uh, so we'll go right to the uh, coffee stout to make that happen. Yeah, there, you <laughs> there you go. Before your 10 a.m. nap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so, um, and we'll come back to the brewery because, of course, we're here hanging out and, and the conversation will always come back to that. But you've been involved in a whole lot of other things uh, before you got uh, into this commercial endeavor of brewing um, and most of them were kind of HR related right so, so tell us about that or a lot of them were and then a lot of travel around the world to give, give us some kind of the, the story of you a little bit <laughs> how much time do you have um, so I, I, I have kind of an eclectic <laughs> that's a nice way to say strange background or schizophrenic background maybe um, so my career has been kind of all over the place uh, when I was really young, um, my destiny, I thought, at the time was going to be a professional musician. I was a classical cellist, um, had, a, had the wonderful opportunity to uh, play not only in high school, but then get accepted to an academy, a private arts academy. Um, and so I did a lot with that and then also did kind of international tours with various youth orchestras and, and such. Um, but I, I realized somewhere along the line through some varying events that, uh, that I didn't I, I, got, I didn't want to live in a bus the rest of my life, and, and, and that, that lifestyle is, um, it's pretty rigorous, and you know, you're either the, the best in the world, in which case you still spend a lot of time in bus and hotels, uh, or you're something, you know, between, or, or less than maybe the best, and then you spend a lot of time uh, in hotels and buses, and that, that just what didn't jive with, you know, wanting to have a family someday and some other things. So I switched gears, and like every other former cellist, um, you know, I went to school and started studying uh, bio, uh, biochemistry and biomedical sciences with a, a, a parallel major in psychology, because that made a lot of sense. And, um, and in order to pay the bills, I started working at Bell's, you know, brewery because, you know, that made sense. And, uh, that probably made the most sense so far yeah. to me. And, and then in, in parallel to that, I became a, uh, a rock climbing, ice climbing, uh, you know, high altitude guy and uh, started working with people and, and teaching ice climbing and, and rock climbing and climbing some of the highest summits in the world. Did you um, ever drink a because beer while- all that made sense. Right? Did you ever drink a beer while playing a cello solo on top of an ice mountain? And while studying biochemistry <laughs> yeah. methodology? Only in my dreams, right? Only, only when I'm sleeping. Um, you know, it was such distinct, and, and maybe this is an entrepreneur thing, maybe it's a personality thing, but when I would make a decision to change and go a different direction, that, that decision was made. I mean, I, I have not played the cello since I was 18 years old. Um, and I was, you know, arguably kind of on that path pretty significant. Quick, quick question yep. though, when you were playing the cello, when people would call you on the phone, would you answer it like this, cello? <laughs> that is just bad. <laughs> <laughs> 
But, but it's true. you realize this is 20 years ago, so I would have had to stand up, take my cello over to the phone <laughs> yeah. that Rotary was hanging style. on the wall, yeah, right. <laughs> and pick the receiver up, and then go, cello? Right. Which you did frequently. Anyway, moving no, on. No, I did not. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> I would not. Opportunities, name of this podcast. Let's keep yeah. it. So, uh, anyway, let's see from there. Went, went to school, fell in love with psychology, uh, fell in love with business in general. And uh, so that's kind of the rest of my career has been focused on the human factor side of business. Um, some of that has been in the human resources realm. So Fortune 10, Fortune 50, and Fortune 500 companies. Um, usually leading or an executive like in the talent management, organizational development uh, area. And then kind of simultaneously, I have a passion for small business. So I've owned, operated, bought, and sold uh, small businesses kind of along the way um, in concert. Ha, get that? Get it? it in, in concert wow. with my corporate career. Excellent. Excellent. Your puns are less on the nose than mine. I get it. I get it. I understand. <laughs> the, the cerebral activity is a little higher. Yeah, so, yeah. I think it is. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I like funny too. <laughs> I've laughed. <laughs> um, so you did a lot of big words, um, and you you did a lot of uh, ice climbing, and and in your ice climbing, and your I mean, you also did. Wait, actually, I'm sorry. Can we define ice climbing? Can you we Other define than it? Obvious, I guess. Like, what, what's what's okay, going so, on? I've never so, heard of that. It was his SoundCloud <laughs> rap name for like three so, years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so it was ice climbing me and Eminem. You know, battling <laughs> battling it out on stage. Uh, Vanilla Ice got you know booted out way before I entered the scene. <laughs> that was necessary for you to flourish. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so, so what is ice climbing? Um, so uh, you've seen a frozen waterfall, or you've seen like a frozen mountaintop where there's like vertical chandeliers of ice hanging down. Um, so we put on crampons, which are little spiky things that are, go on our feet, and we put on ice boots, and so we have... Movies like that. Yeah, yeah, Crazy yeah. shark. That sounds really, really badass, so it's unfortunate <laughs> that they're called crampons. <laughs> <laughs> that did not start with a T. <laughs> yeah. It started so, with a so, C. So the only thing scarier than climbing is potentially ice climbing. Uh, yeah, so so I, I was a real avid indoor climber, then became, a, uh, I was pretty excited with the outdoor climbing, and that kind of turned into mountaineering, and for the longest time I swore that I'd never do ice climbing, because I'm like, wh why would you do that? Why would you risk it? Why would you be cold? Although I, I love to ski and snowboard and stuff like that, uh, until I tried it, and then it, I was absolutely, infallibly hooked. Another pun. Did you get that one? Yeah. Um, so did you travel around a lot and do? <laughs> did you travel a lot and do that in different places? Or yeah. Uh, so I've climbed or the highest. On a hose when it was cold outside <laughs> on the house on the side of the house. Uh, I tried <laughs> really some of that. It, it never really worked very well. Um, I, I have. Oh man, that's like deep dark secret. I don't know if I should share that. Um, so like the back of ski resorts, especially Superman. like in the Northeast. <laughs> Uh, where their where their snow machines are, oh, they, it, would all ice up. it would like all ice up, but you know you're not allowed to be there. <laughs> and so, so I, I I just yeah le would. legend has it that yeah. that that's a good place to practice. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, I've done the highest summit in Africa, highest summit in uh, South America, uh, been to the Everest region, 
uh, been all through the Northeast, um, Mount Hood, Mount Washington. Um, yeah, so it was fun. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. Okay, so cellism and then uh, uh, pre pre med ish kind of biology stuff. Um, a lot of chemistry in that. A lot of chemistry which came back oh, in the brewery. It all comes back somehow. It all comes back. It really does. And then um, and then some ice climbing kind of get your uh, you stretch your say, legs. You need, to, you need to like hit the table and say ice climbing. Ice climbing. <laughs> I think you did like that a Viking. once a month. You said, uh, but anyway, so um, ice climbing and then after ice climbing, um, you uh, got into uh, business through your kind of psychology and business background, which looked mostly like HR. Which yep. Yeah. So originally, I started with uh, kind of the team building, right, okay. and that that came through the climbing and was leveraging the HR, or leveraging the psychology background. And so then it was just kind of through happenstance, my, my first real quote unquote corporate job uh, was the director of training and, and executive development for a company called Schneider National, which is one of the biggest uh, logistics and transportation carriers in the world. Was that the guy who used to be the maintenance man on one day at a time? Yes, Schneider. What? Was oh, that unrelated? The cool, yeah, the cool Schneider, the dude with the slicked hair and the rag. Sorry, go ahead. I have no idea what you're talking about. Seventies. Seventies. Television. Oh, seventies television. I didn't yeah. get a lot of that because I was playing on that you're cello thing. Yeah, right. um, so uh, had a had a wonderful stint there. Um, really, really enjoyed the company. Lots and lots of opportunities. Found that I was pretty decent at this thing called business and psychology and whatever. Um, got recruited to come to Bank of America, which brought That's me to Charlotte. Charlotte. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Uh, was with Bank of America for a while, and then found that um, I really have a tendency to lean towards like manufacturing and hard industry. I, I like tangible. Uh, types of businesses, so I uh, had the opportunity to go to Honeywell and actually st lived and worked at home in Tika K, but was responsible for global uh, performance management, talent management for, for Honeywell. And um, was with them and had a, Boy, that's a big company, brilliant dude. time. Yeah, I think at the time, 223,000 people globally. Golly. Wow. Um, so Did you have a company picnic? <laughs> <laughs> we had many. <laughs> Simultaneously in different time zones. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, yeah I, I mean, at, at the time, I, I don't know for sure if it's still the same now, but uh, at the time we had more of our business outside the U.S. than we did in. So a lot of my responsibilities were, were overseas and, and various kinds. traveling as well? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, so I so I traveled for climbing. I traveled for education. Uh, I was, you know, uh, in Malaysia for quite a while at the university over there. Um, I traveled for just personal interests, uh, but then I traveled a fair bit for uh, business as well through the years. So. Huh. So then you end up here and you start a small business, and and I met you while you were running this small business, and you did well with it, and you sold it, and. And I, and I imagine that fed that kind of, um, hey, I can create anything and just sell it if I want to, <laughs> kind of feeling. And I know that like any entrepreneur, I'm sure you've had home runs and you've had base hits and you've had strikeouts. Absolutely. Uh, so, I mean, that's part of the learning experience, right? Absolutely. Yeah, and, and, and you told me a story once, and um, you can decide what version of this story uh, you want to tell on, on this <laughs> podcast. Uh, I'm not sure if either of our listeners would, would know anything about this. but um, <laughs> maybe, but, maybe one. Maybe one. But um, you were talking about how you kind of made a decision that there were certain people that you wanted to meet, and so you, you intentionally struck out to go 
meet them. You remember telling me about that? Like, yeah, like uh, a list. Early? The, the early in my career yeah, in the yeah, list? Yeah, like real early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, <laughs> actually, I did meet Wayne Gretzky through this instance. Wow, that is weird. That is very, I don't know how you pulled that yeah. name out. I think it was the ice climbing. Yeah. Well, he doesn't do a lot of climbing. Yeah, it um, So, had, you know, graduated, had two degrees, um, had kind of followed what everybody told me to do, right? Go to college, you know, get good grades, get a degree. I got two, um, and then go get a job. Well, you know, there I was, long hair, earrings, you know, big goatee that I used to braid. Couldn't understand why nobody had hired me, but, <laughs> um, but frustrated. So I was managing a climbing gym at the time. I'd started my MBA um, and just frustrated that, that I couldn't get a job. And I, I, felt like, I felt like I had a lot to give and I felt like there was opportunity out there, but I just, I couldn't figure it out. And, um, you know, I'd talk to people and they'd say, well, like, you know, go get a manager position, you know, flip burgers at Wendy's, whatever, just, just get some experience. And I'm like, that sucks. I mean, I'm not really, no. I mean, I could have done that without college, you know? And, um, so I was really frustrated. Well, I, <laughs> no, it wasn't my dad. My dad's going to be listening to this. So, you know, <laughs> my dad is awesome and my mother is brilliant and my brother is extraordinary. So just, you know, nice. just for the record. Um, <laughs> family. <laughs> Hashtag awesome family. Yeah. yeah, you're missing a piece there. Um, so I put together a list and just came up with the people who I thought I knew that were successful. And it was interesting because right away within that list, there were some people that I found that were really successful, like with their family or with their church or with volunteerism or with their community or school or whatever. And, but sometimes that didn't necessarily also mean that they were, I guess my definition at the time of what successful was from a career or from a financial standpoint or, or whatever. And then there were other people on my list that were extraordinarily successful from a career or a money or financial standpoint. But then, you know, I recognized that maybe I didn't admire them as much on some of the other factors, right? And, and so that in and of itself was kind of an awakening or an epiphany. But after I put together this list and I had uh, 14 questions on a list, I still have it in a box. Um, I simply called them up and would invite them to lunch or, you know, coffee or whatever. Long shot, and just, invitation accepts. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I would just interview them and, and I learned some extraordinary things, although I, I don't know that I can sit here right now and tell you what any of them were, but, but the last question I always ask is who do you admire and who would you interview if you were in my position and would you be willing to introduce me? And so I just kind of followed wow. that out. And that led to some extraordinary opportunities. And um, actually through my parents and through some local connections, I met uh, one of the founding fathers of the outlet mall industry. And uh, went and interviewed him, was am amazingly impressed. He had an um, incredible, <laughs> I can't, it's hard to even describe this house. It was sitting on Lake Michigan, multi-story log cabin with an, with a golf course that went through his backyard into his guest house, which is where he had his office. I mean, it was just, he gets all those outlet mall discounts. Yeah, that's right. So well, that stuff is, you know, high value. Well, what I didn't tell you, the whole thing was built out of Hanes t-shirts. <laughs> so <laughs> they were just rolled up and, and, and spray painted to look like logs, but it worked really well. 
That's the name of the estate. Oh, it's ridiculous. <laughs> um, but that ended up being, he, he offered me my first job. My, my first kind of like out of wow. school start. Career kind of job. Yeah, like a career kind of job where I actually cut my hair and yeah. took out the earrings <laughs> and stuff like that. And, and what he was doing is going back to his more successful outlet mall locations. And there was about seven across the US. And he was building what he, he called, quote unquote, the male side of the business. Mm. So he's building golf courses, NHL ice facilities, rock climbing centers. And I came in as his director of training and development. And so I was developing internal training programs, but also creating external uh, programs that we would sell out to wow. companies. And as a part of the NHL ice facility and part of the Red Wings, actually, yeah. Wayne Gretzky, wow was because uh, they won the Stanley Cup that year that I was working there. And so we had the Stanley Cup at uh, the NHL it, facility. It kind of breaks my heart that you didn't make a documentary when you went through this process, because that would have been awesome. Like, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> well, I mean, we could repeat it. Let's do it all again. Yeah, yeah. We, sh we should compile the yeah. most successful people that we know, put together a list, and well, what questions are we going to ask? It's a beautiful idea, because if you think about it, man, you, you very talented, very educated, very smart but lost um ha, ha, did you say lost yeah. i mean you, you kind of what you described Sam, oh i bet you meant now <laughs> no. <Yeah>. currently lost <laughs> you're yeah. easing where you are file i'm not we lost really i'm just know. i'm just bald <laughs> yeah, right exactly. i'm just follically challenged <laughs> so to get back to lost uh series finale yeah, right. yeah. oh god that would be horrible <laughs> It, it was a waste, yeah, waste of what please five years of my life. Yeah, please don't my, talk. And my it. my wife is like, she loved it. Oh, that was great. That was a great ending. I'm like, are you serious? Like, can I just rewind that? Yeah. How 1800 hours of my life? So aside from the lost TV show, you at the time, talented, smart, you know, had a lot to give, but kind of lost. Didn't know where you're going at the Absolutely. time. Um, I love the. That the what God, what do I do now led to you taking such a specific and directed action with no ability to know what it would lead to 100% at all. But no it was idea. specific and it was action focused. It was like, here's 14 specific people that I've decided, I've selected and researched, and I'm going to reach out to them and I'm going to make something happen. That is the type of action that leads to things, man, you know? It, it, it does, and it did. I, I had no idea. I mean, I went in, and, you know, this gentleman was very, very gracious. You know, amazing to have me, you know, punk kid into his home. I remember, like, stopping at the gate, like, pulling my hair back in a ponytail and, like, you know, brushing my shirt off and thinking, wow, I'm, I'm meeting, like, a, a real guy here. And, um, but he, he, was a, he was a great guy, and I, I was shocked and blessed and honored, uh, you know, a couple weeks later when his assistant called and said, hey, you know, we're, we're thinking about doing some training stuff. Would you be interested? And um, that was an amazing, uh, won't get into it today for, for multiple reasons, but that, that was a very pivotal moment in my life. Introduced me into business, uh, gave me an opportunity to, to leverage and look at, you know, psychology or the human factor side of business. And that really set the groundwork for, you know, the rest of my life. Yeah. I, I had no idea, right? No idea. So then years later, <clears throat> you're here in Rock Hill, you sell this small business, you're working for a, a fortune whatever company, and you 
get a nice settlement with them or whatever it is. Not settlement, but, you know, nice whatever. <laughs> settlement. settlement yeah. what, what did I do? Oh, what did they do? Yeah, right. That is the <laughs> Wait, who did, who did something? <laughs> I got a settlement from... <laughs> but in other words, you, you, you kind of simultaneously transitioned out of two things that went very well for you and, and into a place where you got to kind of decide. Most people kind of don't. At your age, what are you now, 75? <laughs> I mean, like, you know, like 45 or something. Most people at your age yep. don't really get to just decide, okay, what am I going to do now? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, that was, so there were two events that kind of led to that. But, but the one that was the most crucial when I was, so I had, I had a, I owned some, some laboratory businesses and really had a great run. Um, taught me a lot about small business, taught me a lot about what in corporate didn't work in small business. And so, and you got to find your own path and, 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 and all that was great. Uh, but then simultaneously working for the fortune 500 company, big, you know, global manufacturer. When I announced that at, at a local, uh, HR association professional meeting, I had a gentleman pull me aside and uh, it's amazing how much this impacted my life, and I don't know if he knows that. I should I should call up up and thank thank him, but he said, uh, you know, Jason, uh, I'm concerned about you, and his question was, you know, how are you going to fail? And man, that that one put me on my heels and uh, spun me out a little bit because I wasn't thinking that way. And then he went on to elaborate, you know, you're, you're taking on major you know you already own multiple site location business and now you're taking on a significant executive role um you know something's got to give and so you know if you're focused on being a great employee is your business going to fail and then what's going to happen in the community and your reputation so and so forth or if you're doing well by your business are you really being the best employee that you can be or if you are just knocking it out across both those spectrums, then how's your health? How's your relationship with your wife? What are you doing? You're a father of three. What are you doing with them? Right? There's what, what you really, you know, just all these different things. And, and it, it shook me up. I mean, I went home and the next three days I didn't sleep and, you know, sweats. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, how am I, I'm screwing this up. And, uh, and then it kind of dawned on me. And, and maybe this is that entrepreneurial bug. But uh, I, I thought to myself, you know, he, he's asking the wrong question. The, the question is, how am I going to be wildly successful? And, and what, what structure, what process, what, what uh, organization do I need to put in place to make that happen? And, and so once I kind of figured that out, um, you know, smartphones are all the rage these days. My computer couldn't do this at the time, but my smartphone could take all these different calendars. So at the time I had five different emails, multiple different calendars, and I was able to sync that all on one phone. And that's how I'd led my life. And, and literally, you know, time with my wife, on the calendar. Time with kids, on the calendar. You know, lunch breaks with my wife, on the calendar. Um, and so that's how I created a solution or a process to the question that he originally asked me. And, and so that kind of laid the groundwork for a pretty extraordinary run for about uh, three, four years of, uh, of kind of balancing all that. Uh, but then had the opportunity to sell the company, uh, also had the opportunity uh, to, to exit Domtar, which was uh, pretty exciting, uh, and did that simultaneously, <laughs> which was even more exciting. And that was uh, just before my birthday, so we went to Greece for uh, wow. a few weeks 
and enjoyed that. And then it, it became, you know, opportunity of options. So, uh, and that's when Brendan and I started talking about the brewery. Uh, that's when I launched a consulting firm that um, I'm doing a lot of big speaking and getting ready to launch another division uh, in the next few weeks. Um, so yeah, all things, uh, all things are good. I do have more focus now though. So instead of being stretched over here, stretched over there, the, the one thing that I walked out of that experience was, okay, how can I start bringing my opportunities more closely together? So is focus part of happiness? Um, in my case at 45, 46 years old and with my background and experience being stretched so many different ways, uh, the opportunity to find synergy is definitely core to my path now. Okay. So I, I don't know that that would be true for everybody. Because right, right, right. if, if you would ask me that 10 years ago, I would have said, no way. I, I'm not happy unless I'm stretched a million different directions because that's how I'm learning. Yeah. Right. Interesting. It makes sense because it's, it's, it's sort of about specificity versus like fear of missing out. Like what, what's gonna, can you mitigate? Cause I feel like that's why anybody stretches themselves in a million directions is fear of missing out. It's fear of like not investing in the right spot. Yeah. And it's, but there's like, obviously there's, I think there probably is happiness and specificity cause it's so easy to like, to focus. I mean, it makes sense. But then it's just like, what are you, it depends on your personality. How can you sleep at night with that fear of missing out? Right. Well, it depends on if you're doing uh, motorcycle maintenance while you're in that right, Zen true. state yeah. or if, yeah. uh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. uh, so it, it, it's um, just the last couple months, you talk, you talk about fear. Um, even though I've done businesses and gone out there and done these things before, my fear was overtaking me. I'd say just coming into the last few, few months of last year. And the fear was, you know, the brewery's up and running and it's moving forward. Uh, but my consulting and, and all these things, I felt like I had really lost my confidence. And um, I had a lot of conversations with my mom. <laughs> I had a lot of conversations with my wife, a lot of conversations just, you know, I felt like I, I lost my confidence and didn't really know exactly what to focus on or where my value was or whatever. And then it, it kind of hit me one night after a lot of contemplation and meditation and, and, and long walks, um, is that it wasn't my confidence that was lacking. I had kind of lost my purpose. And, and once I was able to kind of redefine where I can add value or my niche, as I call it, um, once I found my purpose, confidence was there, no problem. And so, you know, now I'm kind of back on the path, but, uh, well, but you, shaken. I'm glad you shared that, man, because Excuse me. A lot, you know, a lot of people aren't willing to um, share moments of weakness, or and it's so unfortunate because it's such a part of who we are, and it's such a part of what makes us strong. Is our is the fact that we haven't always been strong. I know I am way stronger for having gone through some weak times. You know what I mean? And it makes me a better person. It makes me more compassionate and more confident and more happy. Yeah. You know, it's more happy a word. It is now. Okay. Yes. More, more more happier. More happy. Yes. Happy plus. Happy plus. <laughs> Isn't that a Google app? Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. So. It's true. I mean, I, I think we should all rewrite our resumes and just be all the failures that we've had. Because right. I could look yeah. at that and know where somebody's at and know what they're bringing to the table because of what they've been through yeah. more than their successes. Right? The, the times when, when I was riding high and things were going well, 
I wasn't really learning. I was enjoying, <laughs> don't get me wrong, but I wasn't necessarily learning. It's funny because I thought of that when you were describing earlier that you guys entered your all into that uh, competition thinking like, well, we'll just enter it because we should. And then it's our first go. And then you got all these awards. And I, specifically the thing you're talking about made me be like, that's so rare in life for most people. You get all those wins right on the front. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, I'm still, I'm, I'm shocked. You know, I, I mean, huge honor, but yeah. it's like, oh my goodness. Uh, so now what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what do we do now? Um, yeah, but it's it very cool. Well, you guys, uh, Chris and Silent Micah here, um, have won some pretty amazing awards with their film and their movies. And, and I imagine when you submit something that you didn't feel like, I am the great award winner, Chris, submitting my film. It's just kind of, I guess they'll let me into yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. And eaten a lot of failure. A yeah. lot. Oh, eaten yeah. way more failure than success. <laughs> yeah. I have a failure eating problem. I do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have anything to say to that. <laughs> don't point that thing at me. <laughs> um, you, you've been into a lot. And um, now, though we love to see you here uh, drinking your own beer and relaxing, I'm sure that you, knowing you, are creating some other venture, doing some other venture. So what do you have on deck? Uh, so my w one of the other companies I own is Adaptivity Development. So we're a boutique uh, consulting firm. We do executive development, uh, a lot of entrepreneurial startup support, um, and work with businesses to you know maximize efficiency, figure out how to take it to the next level. Uh, on the operation side, marketing side, target target marketing side, um, you know all those kind of strategies that that come into play. Um, but uh, the one thing that I found here most recently, and it was kind of the universe knocking me upside the head. Um, if you want to start a company, if you want to buy a franchise, if you want to create something from scratch, if you got an idea, there are resources, incredible resources, right? State resources, government resources, university resources, local resources, private resources, pay for resources across the board. For all those baby boomers and all those people that are transitioning, or maybe all those people that um, have just decided they're ready for something new, if they want to sell their company, good luck. There's zero resources. There are, it's the only thing I've ever Googled, and it, it came up blank. <laughs> I mean, it was like, really? Google does it? Uh, I mean, like, there are a couple very big firms. Like, if you're $50 million or more, right, then, you know, great, great, great support. Um, there's a handful of articles out there. There are certainly some resources like business brokers and attorneys and CPAs, and they all have their little wedge of what they do, or how, how you support, or how they would support somebody. But for somebody that's really put their blood, sweat, tears, heart, and soul into a business that now is looking to you know sell it in a timely manner and also create kind of maximum value, uh, the astonishing kind of fact is that buying a company is a very buyer-driven process. And what that means is the seller, obvious, uh, without intention, usually gets drugged through the process <laughs> and, and usually ends up on the short end of the stick. Um, in fact, if you think about something like creating a valuation, because that's what you usually hear, well, you want to sell, sell your business, you know, did you get a valuation? Sure, means, I got a valuation. What is it worth? Yeah, what, what is it worth? Yeah. Um, as soon as you put any number out there, 
I can guarantee you, you will never get that amount for your business because the buyer-driven process will do everything to, you know, due diligence, ask questions, analyze your business, figure, figuring it from the inside out and, and discount why it's not worth whatever number you put out there. In fact, not unlike real estate, right? Real estate's that way. As soon as you list a house, it's the buyer's job to come up with all the reasons why they shouldn't pay that much. But unlike real estate, you can have a seller's agent, right? That's a great advocate to have on your side. You know, let's replace the countertops. Let's let's shore up the, uh, the landscaping a little bit. You know, let's get the maximum value for our house. There's nobody that really does that on the business seller's side. So I'm creating a service. Um, seller's agency for sellers. Seller's agency, but it's education, training, coaching, and kind of the full life cycle. So understanding how to do it, providing the resources to do it, and ultimately you know, selling, selling your company for what it's worth based upon all the years, all the blood, sweat, and tears that you've put into it. I bet that, that there's also the phenomenon though on the other side of that coin, I guess the one could say that sellers of a business might often think it's worth more than it is because they have their whole life of emotion into this thing. Yeah, you know? that's, that's absolutely correct. And so one of the bigger challenges that has you know come up out of this is coming up with a realistic number based upon the business but that shouldn't just be numbers off a spreadsheet. That should also include the differentiators, right? Why are you better than your competition? What's your strategic marketing? Why is your client base better or worth more than something? Right, usually those questions aren't asked. Usually it's just, what's your P&L? What's your balance sheet? Okay, here's three times X, here's your number. So do you help people um, systemize things so that the processes don't leave in the heads of the owners? Because I know there's so many small businesses that it's like, well, how do y'all do that? Well, we used to do such and such when Terry was here, but when he left, we had old Sally came in and did it this way, and now we kind of do it this way. Yeah, that, that's yeah. absolutely correct. So not, not only is it important to understand the process from the beginning, but then there's two things that as a seller we want to do. Number one is we want to come up with, you know, what are the things that that owner is involved in, how are they involved, and how is it tied to them, and then we want to either create a process or documentation or training or a mechanism to start to hand that off. Because at the end of the day, a buyer doesn't want to buy a job. And they absolutely don't want to buy the owner's job, right? And they really, as they're coming into that process, they're really thinking, boy, this owner isn't that great. I can do it better. What the owner needs to do is embrace that. Normally what happens is they get offended or they get you know, frustrated by that. But if we want to sell this company for the maximum value, we need to create that opportunity. We need to shift. Like, I'm going to help you make this amazing. That is absolutely right. Yeah. And that's one of the biggest challenges is, is really on that almost emotional level is to transition a, you know, to that where we are shoring up the new buyer even if they have a different vision, even if they want to take it a different direction, even if the current owner thinks that it might be a bad idea, how do we start coaching that individual? How do we start working with that individual to, to shore up the opportunity? Well, a lot of business owners created a business to create themselves a job and a lifestyle. And they live that for 30 years or whatever. And it's a, it's a, it's a, a lifestyle, it's like their thing. And so a different perspective is the entrepreneurial perspective, which is I'm creating a thing. That thing will become a value independent from me. And then I will transition that thing for 
the money that I can get for the value of that thing. And whatever that thing needs to become at its highest value is what it should naturally become. And you think about it more like that. It's very different from the guy who works at his place and likes his people and does his thing and, and, he, and he only is selling because he's being forced into the life situation that he's got to come up with another plan. Yeah. And, and, and it's even, if you think about the ego and how we even talk about ourselves, oh, what do you do? Right, I own a company. Is that com Yeah, that company. Is, my company. My company is successful, and it's because I work twenty four seven. I do this. I do that. I do all. You know, I fix all the problems. I do this. Well, if you're talking to, interviewing a buyer, like I don't want to do that, dude. You're crazy. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's your response. <laughs> yeah. But yet, that that's how you became successful. That's how you interact with the world. But we have to shift that entire mentality and shift that entire conversation to talk about the opportunity of what's next. Like, like a car that's already paid for versus like I've got, I'm buying this car, I have to make payments on. You know? right. and, and so it's a huge transition. And then the other piece of that, I said there's two pieces, is, is what I call the lab piece, the life after business. So, so much of our ego is wrapped around who we are and how we do work and, and the time that we spend doing that work. And so part of this transition and shoring up is being able to shift the mindset to what opportunity as the seller do I have that's next so that I can get excited about that and that can motivate me and push me towards what's next and that gives me the fuel to be able to start to disconnect from my business without regret and without guilt. And so then I can have those conversations in a much more succinct fact, uh, fashion so that that buyer will be set up for success. You know, I've been thinking a lot lately about what you just kind of briefly touched on this notion of when people say, what do you do? What they mean is, how do you earn your income? Because usually we spend most of our time earn, having to earn our income. And then we, you know, we get to have a little bit of time on the side based on how well we're managing it all. Or a lot of people that make huge money have very little time on the side. They spend all of their time earning their income. And so it's become this self-identifying factor forever. I mean, for like long, long, long time. But I've been really thinking about that a lot in my own kind of personal journey. And so I've been getting a kick out of answering that question intentionally. I know it's a little bit, I don't mean to bait people or troll people or whatever, but I, like when they ask me, so what do you do? I'm like, I, I play music. And they'll be like, they immediately think, wow, so you're a, a paid musician that's either starving or incredibly famous and I don't know who you are yeah. and I'm like oh no I don't make money doing that <laughs> I'm like oh you were asking how I get paid money oh I own a business yeah right. but you said what do you do I don't know you know I go to the bathroom yeah. <laughs> really that's your answer yeah I always say that I go to the, things yeah. that I go to the bathroom a lot I just I would just say you know I sleep a third of my life I do yeah <laughs> or I try to anyway yeah right exactly well Jason it's been a wonderful pleasure to hear about Rock Hill Brewery and its success congratulations on all the awards I think it's fantastic what should everyone out there know about Rock Hill Brewery in a sentence uh, in a sentence we make beer we make really good beer flavored beer so we're, we're not up there <laughs> creating all these uh, wild concoctions we just make really good traditional German traditional German uh, Belgian American good standard beer when you were describing all the beers that won awards it was a commercial on me that was working really well because I wanted all of them <laughs> yeah I mean, in I the think, same glass yeah, yeah <laughs> just exactly suicide mix them all up yeah. <laughs> 
You, he does have a fountain drink machine that you can yeah, just go yeah, by yeah. suicide in. But um, um, so that's excellent. It's also a place. Uh, it's not just the beers, it's the place. Absolutely. Uh, strong focus on, I mean, the reason we created this, even how we positioned our monitors and TVs is so we can have events that people can come in and if they have a presentation or something, you know how you go to a, uh, an event and they have the screen in the far side of the room and the back side is just talking and nobody can see, nobody can hear? Well, our monitors are all set up so you can do the presentation and everybody can see no matter where they're at and everybody can hear. So we, we love doing events and we're actually starting uh, team building. So uh, you can come in as, your past, of course. as a charity. We'll do it as a fundraiser. As a private company or organization, we do it as a money raiser that you can give to a company but uh, or to a charity. But you do the brewing. So you design the beer. That's awesome. You send in a team and you push the buttons. You control the recipe. Uh, we make sure you don't melt your face off or, you know, get acid all over you or anything nasty like that. But you make the beer. You design the recipe. You come up with a marketing plan. And then after we brew the beer, six, eight weeks later, we do a release party and you get to invite all your friends and share their beer. Wow. And, uh, and then raise money, you know, for whatever group you want to give that to and, and have all the marketing along with it, maybe a logo and sell t-shirts and so on and so forth. So it can really turn into a great team building for, you know, a corporate type of setting and it can turn into a great fundraiser for a charity. That is very cool. So you got a lot going on here with the brewery. A lot of things going on with um, adaptivity um, and the help you can uh, give to people selling their business. So if, if somebody wants to sell their business and enjoy good beer and a great space, they can come here. And, and they don't and, have to ice climb. And they don't have to ice They can <laughs> they ice can. climb. <laughs> not, not here, not, not in the here, Carolinas. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe north, I don't know. They're free to choose that lifestyle. <laughs> yeah, they're, but they're free to choose it, we, yeah. We accept all lifestyles here. Actually, ice climbing is probably one place where you don't glorify failure, I would imagine. Uh, that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> but um, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. And um, Chris, as always, your, your, your shirt, your T. Dickey is um, looking nice under your uh, hoodie there. That's ChrisTDickies.com. <laughs> it, it's amazing. There's just a little shadow of the Dickey just above yeah. the zipper. Just, just like almost like a turtle head. Uh, I'm not sure what we're talking there. about anymore. Oh, so I, I'm going to transition here <laughs> to say that um, Silent Micah would like to um, really just sum it up here with some wise words. Well said, Micah. Well said. I, I think that was uh, really thought through and um, elegant. Can convey and drink out of the beer at the same time. He's, he should be on your commercials. Your Super Bowl commercial. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I guess we'll see you guys next week on, or in a month or so, on Old Town New World.